Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane, a place where Denny Hamlin was this past week at Bristol Motor Speedway. Going to chat about that, the round of 16 cutoff race, the now new revamped round of 12 which will begin at Tejas Texas Motor Speedway we're going to chat about all those happenings on this here very program also going to chat with Joey Cohen as you see my guest this week a fellow tribesman if you know you know uh really interesting guy to talk to really interesting position that he is in right now as the VP of operations at Legacy Motor Club they're going through a transition right now and he spoke about what that impending transition may be like and how John Hunter Nemechek may be able to help accelerate that transition for next season and beyond. He also did a bit of racing in his time before he became an engineer and now on the executive level of NASCAR. So we chat a little bit about that, but overall a really cool guy with some nice perspective. So I hope you guys will enjoy that chat. But before we do that, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel who is paying homage to a NASCAR Xfinity Series legend this week. Take it away. Thank you, Doof, and welcome everyone to episode 202. As you may have noticed, finding worthy subjects as we went through the numbers a second time was often a challenge. Look, I'm retired. I don't need that kind of stress, and don't think I'm up for the challenge of doing it a third time. So, as Davey mentioned last week, the Wayback segment going way forward See what I did there, Doof? Will no longer be constrained by numerology. Instead, I'll focus on whoever or whatever I dang well please, for as long as our host will let me, right? So, today, the Wayback Lens shines its light on a driver whose short name belied his large talent. Sam Ard made only one Cup Series start but he was a mainstay in the late model sportsman and Bush series from 1975 through 1984. Ard won 22 times in the NASCAR junior circuit, including two Bush series championships. In 1983, he won 10 times and finished in the top five 23 times en route to his first championship. The following year, he won eight times and posted 24 top fives out of 28 races run. That year also included a serious crash at Rockingham. Ard would miss the season's final race, but still took home the title. However, he would never race again. Ard's life also is a tale of drivers helping drivers. Later in life, he suffered from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, and his family often lacked the resources to properly care for him. In 2006, 
Kevin Harvick and Dale Earnhardt led an effort to raise money for Ard and his family. And in 2008, after Kyle Busch tied Ard's single-season win record in the then-Nationwide Series, he donated $100,000 for Ard's care. Sam Ard died in 2017 at the age of 78. He was named one of NASCAR's top 75 drivers this past year. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yes, Sam Ard, one of the best to ever do it. I did not know, or maybe I don't remember, about Dale Jr. and Kevin Harvick raising money for him and then Kyle Busch donating $100,000 uh, after he broke that record as well. I also did not know that his career was cut short because of injuries, and I did not know that he went out on top as a champion, even though he missed the season's finale. So that is really interesting. I did not know any of those things, and that is why I am very grateful and thankful that my dad, Papa Siegel, gets us educated and up to speed in the Wayback segment. So thank you, as always. Let's start off this episode as we always do, and that is with a good old-fashioned And let's throw it straight over to my interview with Joey Cohen of Legacy Motor Club. As I said, fellow tribesmen, love that. Uh, VP of Operations for Legacy Motor Club. Eric Jones and Carson Hosevar, they have been wheeling the 42 and the 43 as of late. Took Joey's temperature on how his two drivers are currently doing, wheeling those race cars around the track, and also chatted about what the future is going to look like as they get ready to switch to Toyota for this upcoming season. As I mentioned, we chatted about a lot of different things and covered a lot of ground but we didn't even scratch the surface, people, as is usually the case because I had to let him go, get back to bigger and better things. So we'll have to have him back maybe next year for a bit of a checkup as Toyota and that new partnership gets off the ground and rolling in year one. So I will get out the way and let you hear my chat with the man, Joey Cohen of Legacy Motor Club. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today the Vice President of Operations, new title, which we'll get to. Uh, at Legacy Motor Club, it is Joey Cohen, who I'm not gonna lie to you, came in pretty hot with the headset on. He's in the war room. It's like I'm in a debrief or something like that. I like it though, Joey. I do. Yeah, we're like uh, Drive to Survive, right? We're gonna sit in there and talk on our uh -huh. headsets and uh, debrief about the whole day, what we what we experienced today. So just just talking British accents, P1 mode push. Yep. Yep. We've got to have all the buzzwords for sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, I will say something that reminded me of Drive to Survive is the fact that you rode your bike into the racetrack this past weekend at Bristol. What was that all about? Yeah, I mean, the uh, cup schedule has gotten super interesting uh, the last couple of years, right? We uh, were there for, you know, two to three days at some times. Our schedule's pretty spread out. You know, we don't have much track time, honestly. Uh, once we practice and qualify and impound the cars on Saturday, um, you know, or, or Friday in, in this case, you know, uh, those Saturday mornings waiting for night races can be pretty long uh, and Sunday mornings can be, uh, you know, you're waiting for something to do that afternoon. So you, you find a lot of new hobbies and a lot of new ways to fill your time. Um, I got a chance to go out to the Creeper Trail um, and ride about 35, 40 miles on my bike that morning. And go. just, uh, yeah, it's peaceful, right? It's quiet, uh, nature. Yeah. So touch a little bit of grass and uh, get ready for the day that way. But yeah, I didn't expect uh Trying to get that bike down the banking of Bristol uh -huh. was a little challenging. Yeah, that was probably a mistake. Notice how I said you rode your bike into the racetrack, but I didn't say you rode it down the banking because we were walking exactly. in together 
And I was like, yeah, I don't know if you want to ride that thing down there. So you wisely walked it down. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get a security guard after me uh, ripping around uh, with my bike on the banking of Bristol. So It's pretty pretty bold to think you could actually stay on the banking in a bike. <laughs> I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> steep. <laughs> I think you'd be visiting the infield care center after security gets a hold of you. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but <laughs> I thought no. I thought you might have been uh, and I'm doing some assuming here. So maybe I'm right. Sure. Maybe I'm wrong. thought you might be on your way back from Rosh Hashanah services or something. <laughs> by the way no yeah i get that a lot too but uh yeah no <laughs> none of that either so pretty simple pretty keep it pretty simple on sundays i feel you i feel you well as a fellow member of the tribe had to get that one in there so now we can move on <laughs> um what is in the water at legacy motor club lately because you guys have been running way better way more consistent than you did at the start of the year obviously eric has stepped up his game carson is coming in hot like a rocket you guys must be feeding him something pretty good over there. <laughs> yeah, Carson's came in and done a great job. He's been a real, uh, you know, breath of fresh air, really a good a level of energy and excitement that we needed uh, to kind of get back going again, you know. Um, look, no no doubt about it. We fired off this year and, and uh, you know, didn't have the performance that we ended last year with. Definitely a lot of challenges uh, that kind of, you know, faced us in the off season. Some of the stuff that came out earlier in the year about our transition of manufacturers. Um, things of that nature um, definitely were a little bit of a setback, but, um, you know, the groups rallied. Uh, they've really dug down and uh, really just uh, committed to just uh, getting this figured out. And, um, you know, I'll tell you the other thing, the schedule, um, just the ebbs and flows of it. Right. Like um, I joked with somebody, you know, when we make the playoffs next year, you know, these tracks line up really well for us organizationally. Um, these are really strong tracks. You look at Darlington, right. Uh, Eric Jones, uh, you know, a perennial favorite at Darlington, you know, the, the Kansas is the Texas is Las Vegas. Um, you know, stuff like that is just right in our wheelhouse. And, you know, that this part of the schedule really, uh, you know, is good for us. Um, you know, you get in that summer stretch and you get to all the road course racing, no doubt we've had challenges on road courses and we've been trying to get our program better there. Uh, Mike Rockefeller's recently came in and, uh, really helped with that. And, uh, no different, uh, than Carson, uh, coming in, you know, we've, we only get to run Bristol now once a year on the concrete oval. Right. Um, so we, we were not good there last year. Uh, just, you know, bluntly, it, it wasn't one of our better tracks. And uh, to see the turnaround of the organization uh, in the race this past Saturday night was really promising. It shows me that we're doing the right things as a company, uh, making decisions on the vehicles and then getting things that the drivers can uh, extract performance out of the car. I want to go to to both your drivers real quick. You mentioned Kansas a minute ago. Obviously, Eric had a really good run there. First top five of the season for him. First top five for LMC, kind of as the rebranded organization. Obviously, when you when you talk about Eric Jones, right, the talent is there. It's super evident. And I think a lot of people forget that he's actually younger than Christopher Bell, which is kind of crazy to say. Yeah. But what can you say about him as kind of, I guess, the de facto anchor of your guys' race team right now, got the win last year at Darlington, to your point, to kick off the playoffs. Unfortunately, you guys just did it a week late, but he seems like yeah. a guy that you guys are really comfortable with building around. Yeah, I think that's the thing that you got to remind yourself about, Eric. Um, you know, he's our veteran, right? He's our presence, and uh, he's kind of our leader, like you said. He, he he's, uh, he's kind of our North Star, and uh, he's 26 years old, right? So... Um, that's Crazy. a very unique situation. Um, you know, you think, I mean, he's been in the cup series, you know, six, six years now. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a long career in and of itself, just in the cup series. And, uh, yeah, you know, we, we feel like, uh, you know, that's, that's the guy that, um, you know, 
is is leading our group and leading our company. But uh, in fairness to him, you know, we need to give him a teammate uh, that he can, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of, have a relationship with, uh, really be able to have that guy, uh, you know, that he can kind of lean on with him and uh, kind of, you know, confide in like, hey, are you feeling this in the car? I'm feeling this in the car. And, uh, you know, to his, you know, you know, we just haven't had that, you know, and I think Carson's kind of been the first uh, individual to kind of come in. Uh, they seem very similar backgrounds, you know, with the uh, late model racing, uh, super late model racing in Michigan. Uh, obviously, Carson's working himself through the truck series, but uh, very similar paths, right? And Carson's a young guy, too, trying to figure it out. So I think there's a lot of synergy there between the two of them. But, um, you know, it's really exciting to see when, when those two, two things line up together with teammates like that. Carson was insane at Bristol. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I saw him running up front, and I assume that he was lap traffic. And when I looked up on the leaderboard and I saw that he was passing William Byron, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, lapping Kyle Busch for position, I was like, my God, the kid is unbelievable. Top 20s in his two starts for you guys before that. And if it wasn't for a loose wheel, would have probably had a top 10, maybe a top five. What has he brought to the organization in the last three, four weeks or so that you guys have really felt because the results speak for themselves? I'm wondering what it's like inside the race shop. Yeah, just an approach and an energy, um, just a, a really eagerness to learn, um, an eagerness to try things. Like I said, you know, earlier, we're we're a company that's definitely, you know, we're spending, you know, we're not in the playoffs, right? So we're spending these last 10 weeks trying things, evaluating things, uh, maybe trying different setups and, and things of that nature. And uh, with Carson, he's got no pre preconceived notions right he's got no predisposition to a cup car he doesn't know what a cup car should feel like or he's not coming in with any sort of bias towards well i think it should be like this but you guys are doing this uh carson just wants to see how it drives he wants to tell us how it drives and let us work on it and uh, just get it better for him and i think that's been a, a really valuable asset in, in the what we're doing right now as a company and, and evaluating things and trying different things at some of these tracks uh, like bristol for instance um it's really encouraging to to see the level of speed that can come out of the cars. And, and we know that we're building good cars and, and good race cars are coming out of this shop, um, you know, week in and week out, uh, no matter what type of track it is. Uh, but he's just been really, really fun. Uh, he's just plugged himself right into the group, you know, uh, just anything. He's like a sponge, man. He, he reminds me of a, a young Keselowski or young drivers that when you first saw them come into the sport, they just wanted to know everything about it. They just want to be in every conversation and, and talk about everything about the car, about what the track did. Um, He's just so, um, he's, he's so ingrained in it right now and he's really plugged into it. So it's really fun to work with and really fun to see. You mentioned Eric kind of needs one of those teammates that he can bounce stuff off of. And obviously next year, you're going to have one full-time in the form of John Hunter Nemechek. What do you think he's going to bring to the organization? The Toyota factor, obviously, that can't be ignored with you guys switching over there next year. He will have been a part of them for a while, as Eric was previously. But you're getting a really good guy who right now is one of, if not the favorites, to win the Xfinity Championship and clearly knows what it takes to win in trucks and Xfinity, hoping to do the same in his return to the Cup Series for you guys. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, John Hunter, we're really excited to bring him in next year. You know, he's got a... 
a very broad skill set, depth of experience in all three series. You know, he, he was in the Cup Series there in that 2020 COVID year. And, uh, you know, but basically he's, he's worked himself back up for, through each level, truck and Xfinity. And I think he brings a wealth of knowledge of the Toyota program with him. You know, like you said, um, we're going to be a company in transition, right? There's just going to be all different systems of, you know, uh, simulator time, uh, tools that we use uh, to to work on the vehicle, uh, software, things of that nature. He's looked at all that stuff, right? He's been in that world for the last three to four years. So uh, that really allows us, you know, what we feel like a head start in our transition over to TRD and uh, that he's kind of been in that environment. And then to your point, uh, Eric, you know, has come from that. You know, he, he came up through the feeder system as well um, as a Toyota driver. Um, so I really feel like there'll be some good mesh points there uh, with the two of them and, and kind of uh, coming up those similar paths there. Like I said, the fact that he has been in the Toyota fold and kind of in the development program for a while, it seems like an obvious fit to put him with you guys, a team that's switching to the manufacturer for next year. So I'm sure that the Toyota piece and that side of things had a lot to do with the negotiations, if you want to call him that, to bring John Hunter over. But you personally and you guys as the race team, when did negotiations start to try to bring John Hunter into the fold for next year and kind of up your game? You know, they're really, I mean, you know, we obviously had a, had a unique situation with the 42 car this year, no doubt about it. Um, you know, we really weren't looking uh, down that path in any way um, as it related to that. Um, the circumstances changed in August and, uh, you know, we had to really decide uh, as a company how we were going to approach that and how we were going to continue on long term uh, on the 42 team. And uh, that's, that's when that kind of started uh, from that point and just trying to uh, set the program on the best path uh, forward for the future. So I mentioned you had a bit of a title change somewhat recently. You were competition director. We were used to hearing that term as it pertains to guys and gals in the cup series, but now it's VP of operations. So I'm curious what the day to day looks like for you now compared to what it did look like as competition director, or maybe it's just the same and you have a title change. You can tell me. Yeah. I mean, uh, I always joke that, uh, you know, uh, the, the title basically allows people to, to come and complain to me and me directly. So, you know, when <laughs> they have problems, so yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it's really good. You know, as an organization, we're going through a, a transition as well, you know, in some leadership structure, uh, we've brought on Cal Wells as our CEO, you know, he's kind of running the business side of the operation and, uh, kind of setting us on our path forward there. Um, just looking at, uh, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm an engineer by trade, uh, you know, so um, I've, I've always been ingrained on the technical side of things. Um, I like spending a lot of time with the engineers, uh, but at this level, it takes a lot more than that to, to run a race team, right? You got to spend some time and look at the logistics of the, of the operation, uh, how we're getting to the racetrack, what we're doing, how we're executing, uh, looking at processes, looking at workflow through the shop, looking at tools the shop needs. So just taking really more of a global approach of, uh, what can set our race team up for success, uh, you know, going into the future in you know, two years, three years, four years, five years, um, really just uh, taking on a, a bigger role in that. And uh, basically, that's kind of where, uh, you know, I, I still like spending a lot of time around the technical side of things. I still love being at the racetrack. I still like uh, understanding how cars go fast. I like looking at data. Um, you know, a huge emphasis on that. And I think, you know, we're trying to structure the company uh, to, to really prioritize and, and value that uh, when we look at uh, how we fill out roles and things like that. You should have like a, a big glass jar that just says complaints on it and people can just <laughs> throw their complaints in there and you don't have to deal with them. 
uh, suggestion box, but maybe yeah. like something there like that. Go. Yeah, no, right. it's all good. We we got a lot of great people here, and uh, we're growing, right? And that's that's the exciting thing. Um, you know, we're we're new to the Cup Series. You know, quite honestly, this is our second year in this form. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. coming from last year, um, you know, we're we're still a very small and young organization looking to grow, and that's that's really the fun and exciting thing every day coming in. So your story from my research is a bit of an interesting one. You said you're an engineer by trade, but you did some racing back in the day. And I think I, <laughs> I believe that you wanted to be a driver. You were on that path to be a race car driver. And again, if my research is correct, you were kind of good. You can go ahead and brag on yourself. I'll uh, go ahead. No, I, uh, that was a long time ago. It feels like a long time ago. I got a, <laughs> I got a seven-year-old son and he, he's kind of doing a little bit of racing. And, and now I see like, uh, oh, this is how it starts. You know, this is where it begins uh, at this age. Uh, no, you know, fortunately, I, I had, you know, very supportive parents growing up. Uh, when I was about that same age, I said I wanted to race and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And, and they supported it for a long time. And that's what really got me started and uh, got me passionate about NASCAR, about motorsports. Um, I, I don't know that I was, uh, I was okay at it. Right. But obviously not good enough to make a living at it. So I had to find the next best route to sure. do that. And I think all of us come to that, you know, any of us in the sport, right. We all grew up loving racing or driving or, or one of the two things. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, uh, set it upon myself like that. I wanted to do this as a career and, uh, if not driving, uh, definitely the next best thing. You're from Virginia. I'm from the D.C. area. That's where I'm at now. Um, the DMV specifically, not really a hotbed for racing, but the state of Virginia, depending on where you go, obviously, there are racetracks everywhere you go. What got you interested in motorsports in the first place when you were, as, as you mentioned, six, seven, eight years old or so? Yeah, we. Um, I think we grew up in a neighborhood that um, a guy had his own late model there. He raced at Langley Speedway, okay. um, and you could just hear him fire up the motor on Wednesday nights or Monday nights, and you know it was just like, what is that? You know, that's the most amazing <laughs> sound as a kid. You know, like just out of curiosity. And, uh, you know, my, my dad would take me out to the local short tracks. We'd always go to Richmond race. Um, I can remember being a kid and just loving that, you know, in the early nineties, I'm going to date myself here, how old I actually am, but, um, just the heyday of NASCAR really. Right. Like, and, and just the glory years of it and just, it, you know, just wanted to be around it, wanted to do it. And, um, it, it was really fun. I mean, like you said, Virginia is, uh, you know, a very, um, you know, you've got the Burton brothers, the Saddlers, you know, you've got Denny Hamlin. There's so many people go on and on, um, uh, you know, from modern day drivers to even historical drivers. Just really cool to, to hear about all the history of racing in Virginia. So like you said, fast forwarding a bit, you were good, but apparently not good enough. Right. <laughs> but you still found a way to stay involved in the sport. Went to University of Charlotte. You're a proud 49er, I know, and yep. studied engineering there. Was your aim when you got to college or once you were in college to work in the sport of motorsports or NASCAR specifically? Obviously, being in Charlotte, I'm sure that that's what a lot of people around you were aiming for. Yeah, 100%. I positioned myself here just for that reason. Um, you know, I got, I'm, you know, being a Virginia kid, I wanted, you know, I figured out I needed to do engineering. You know, I, I didn't go to Virginia Tech. I didn't go to Old Dominion. I didn't go uh, anywhere to school there. I knew that I had to be in Charlotte and, uh, that's, that's where I wanted to be. Um, you know, I came here as a kid and I understood all the race shops were here. I understood that the, the NASCAR industry itself was, you know, the epicenter was here. 
And uh, it was really, you know, that was my decision. I wanted to go to Charlotte and this is where I wanted to be. Um, just the amount of people and the relationships I built there, uh, way more valuable than even the degree or the education itself, you know. Uh, you know, I was classmates with Rudy Fugel, Cliff Daniels, Brian Campy. These are all my friends, you know, in college. And and you look around the NASCAR garage and the landscape today, and, you know, these are some of the top guys in the sport. And it's just really fun to see, you know, how it all started on a college campus, you know, and, you know, we were working on the racing program there, the Legends Car program or the FSE, FSAE program there. Uh, just really cool to think about, you know, that um, something like that could lead to to a career in NASCAR. So Cliff, Rudy, Campy, those guys are all making the shots or calling the shots on Saturdays and Sundays. I know you've done that a little bit in your time, but why not go down the crew chief route? Um, you know, I enjoy Enjoyed it for, uh, for a while, you know, for, for a couple of years. Um, sure. you know, I feel like, um, just, you know, I felt like, um, from a standpoint of, um, just, uh, broadening my skill sets and, uh, kind of, uh, using my skills in, in other areas of the day-to-day -day operations of a race team, um, how to set up the structure of the, the technical side, how to set up the production side, the, the logistics side, things of that nature. That, that was the things that really excited me. Um, about being more involved in the overall um, picture of, of, you know, the sport and things like that. So, and I, I can do without that stress uh, every Saturday or Sunday <laughs> yeah. too, you know, that, that. Not, not sleeping in that turn in your stomach every, every week. So, yeah, I hear you on that. I also read that when you were in school, you called yourself quote, not a typical college kid. So you're telling me you weren't out there partying every night, living it up in uptown Charlotte. You were working on engines or CAD models or something like that. Yeah, we just uh, we we went racing. We we did whatever you know. If, uh, if you know, I went to classmates with you know kids that were still racing at their local track. I was still racing back in Virginia. Some um, I'd grab two kids from class on on Friday and say, Hey, let's go up to Virginia. We're going late model racing, you know. And we'd get in the car, leave campus, and go racing all weekend. And that's just what we did. You know, I mean, no doubt we, we still had fun, right. We, yeah. we didn't race all the time, but, um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, this is just how it was. You were around that group of people. That's what they like to do. You shared similar interests and, and that's what we went and did. That's my type of weekend trip, man. I, I did it all wrong. <laughs> I got to redo that. So obviously you, you enjoyed your time there. You got a lot of really valuable experience to your point, more than a degree can kind of give you just real life relationships, world experiences, and you intern at Hendrick Motorsports of all places. Talk about starting out hot, right? Going to the big behemoth of Hendrick Motorsports, obviously had to stop at Roush Fenway, JTG Doherty Racing before you ended up at GMS Racing. Those are some heavy hitters on your way to where you are now at Legacy. What did you learn at those stops along the way that you can now kind of, I guess, put to work in your role now today? I think it's the people aspect, right? You get to work around so many uh, different people, uh, different skill sets. Uh, you know, every race team's not the same, even though they may look the same or they may you may you may think that they operate the same and have the same structure. Uh, so it's really cool to get that insight and experience of of how things are run. Uh, you know, being around certain people and certain influences in your career. Uh, some of the crew chiefs I worked for, you know, I have a great deal of respect for. I think they helped build and and kind of mold me into, you know, how I approach things today. And, and that's really what it's all about is just the, you know, like we talked about, the relationships you build, the people you work with uh, just seems, you know, to allow you to carry those experiences forward through your career. And I think if I have my timelines right, you were an engineer when that 
role and that title was kind of first being introduced into the normal lexicon in the NASCAR garage. You know, it was it was not the days of that we have now of when you get out of the car, you have instant simulation data right there for you to come through. I mean, that was kind of a new thing back then. What was it like to kind of be on the forefront of that, I guess back then, cutting edge technology to help you go faster? Yeah, uh, you definitely weren't the most popular guy on the team. You know, you weren't, <laughs> you were never getting close to that. You know, you were the nerd. Uh, but, you know, you had to really, um, you know, I think the thing that was really good about that time period is, right, you kind of had to prove yourselves to the mechanics and, and the people that were working on the cars that, hey, I'm hands on. Uh, I want to work on these cars too with you. I want to learn, uh, but I also want to do the engineering work. And I know that there's some other higher level things to do, but, you know, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to put a data system on with you. I'm going to install that, or I'm going to, you know, work on the pull down rig with you, uh, really get my hands on the race car just to show you that, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm a racer too, even though I have an engineering degree. Um, you know, we, we, we both like the same thing. Trust me. Uh, I'm just the nerd <laughs> at this point, you know, but, um, it, it's, it, it was fun, you know, right. And, I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's really cool to see where the sports evolved to uh, in the last 10, 15 years and how that, that approach has changed. Did you think it would ever get to the point that we're at now where it's just so ingrained in the fabric of every single second of every single day when it comes to Cup Series racing, any racing for that matter? Yeah, I did. Um, I had a pretty huge belief, and I think I told this story before, but uh, I was a big stick and ball fan. I love baseball. Baseball is probably my love, uh, number one love as far as sports go. And I was just always, uh, you know, amazed at the amount of analytics. This was back in the Moneyball. The book Moneyball came out, yeah. the Bill, Bill James analytics stuff. Uh, there was people that were taking analytical approaches to very, I mean, baseball is 150 years old, right? NASCAR at that time was only, you know, 50, 60 years old, right? So uh, I understood that there was going to be a push at some point to uh, sophisticate uh, the, the sport per se. Um, and, and I kind of thought about that approach is like, okay, you know, people are using this stuff in, in other sports like NASCAR will eventually catch up and, and come to that point. Uh, where where it'll be um, sought after for data analytics, uh, you know, engineering stuff like that. I, I really felt strongly about that. So you were ahead of the curve, quite literally. Yeah, there you go. That's like <laughs> good pun. <laughs> Thank you. I try. Um, yeah. Did you ever run into any scenarios, whether it was at Hendrick or JTG, Roush, whatever, or anywhere in between, where you know, like you said, you're kind of the nerd to those people, right? But you know that the information and the data you have is exactly that. It's data. It's information. You're trying to help everybody get better and go faster. Did you run into any issues with maybe some older traditional guys or gals on race teams that weren't really as receptive to using that data or inputting it into their practice as maybe they would be today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all had those experiences, right? And it's just where the sport was at the time. Uh, no you know, no offense or no, no harm to anybody or anything, uh, you know, that felt that way or thought that way. Um, it's just, just where we were as a, as a sport and whatnot. And, uh, you know, you, you knew the times when to speak up and when not to speak up <laughs> and then you got real selective with your ideas and make, sure. it made you better prepared. Right. Cause, uh, you know, you, when you were going to make this argument or this, uh, you know, how you felt about a certain setup or certain aspect of the vehicle, right? You, you had to have your homework done. You had to have all the, all the information uh, ready to present. So yeah, it, these things always, you know, they'll make you a better worker and they'll make you a harder worker and a, a smarter person, I think. But that goes back to the people skills you mentioned too, right? Like you got to know when to actually try to bring this idea to the table, 
when to be like, eh, I'll just let it breathe for a minute. You got to know how people work and when they're receptive to things. Sure. Yeah. Timing is everything. That's why they, that's why they say that. And it's no different here. <laughs> so when did you get hooked up with Maury Gallagher, Mike Beam, whenever things turned in from GMS to legacy? I know you were there before that, but how'd you get hooked up with the current employer? Yeah, I had a, a really good relationship with Mike Beam uh, from my Roush days, um, but I knew about Mike, you know, like I said, being a kid of the sport. I mean, sure. you turned on your TV and you remembered Bill Elliott and you remembered Mike Beam and you remember Junior Johnson. You just, you gravitated and knew who that person was. So I was fortunate. I got to spend a lot of time around Mike at Roush. Uh, he was uh, doing the truck and Xfinity program there. I'd spend a lot of time in that uh, portion of the company. And just really developed a relationship with Mike, and uh, you know, Mike Mike came over here in 2015 uh, to help Maury start the truck program, and uh, I was one of his first calls, you know, that he made as as far as uh, engineering and crew chief and and how they were going to do things, and um, I really just jumped at the opportunity, uh, especially after meeting Maury Gallagher. I know a lot of people don't know about Maury in the sport, you know, he's not a very visible owner. Uh, but Maury is by far the, the best owner I've worked with in the sport, just his approach and, uh, his, his commitment and will to win, uh, how he approaches things, uh, just really was well aligned with how I felt about things. And, and Maury's a big believer in, in giving, you know, young people like myself, uh, the opportunity to go, to go and do and enable them to, to take off on things like this and, and, uh, do these things in, in racing, which was, was great for me. Is it true that speaking of Mike Beam and Maury Gallagher, that you were one of the people that kind of pushed them to buy a charter and go into cup series competition? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, for sure we were, we were through that phase of, you know, they had looked all around it at charters per se. They had looked at race teams about going cup racing. Uh, you know, it just never fit, you know, the financial model, the, the business case wasn't there. And, um, you know, I, I came to Mike and I came to Maury with pretty big conviction that like the next gen car, I, I had been exposed to it and been around it quite a bit. Um, you know, its inception had been delayed due to COVID. So there was kind of a year that it had not taken off yet. And I knew that uh, that was going to kind of be the turning point of the now or never. Um, this is when to do it. And, uh, you know, me and Mike, uh, we flew out to Vegas uh, with a pitch deck of, hey, this is this is what the next gen is going to do for the sport. Uh, this is how it's going to level the playing field. This is how the budget and the operational costs are going to get better. This is what I believe in. This is how I think it'll go. And uh, a lot of a lot on the line, right? Because um, you know it, this was going to be the decision to go cup racing or to not go cup racing. And uh, fortunately, uh, it seemed like everything vetted out, and he made the decision that that was the right time to do it. And um, you know, it's kind of kind of going out there and pitching a job for yourself, right? This is what I want to yeah. do, and this is how I want to do it. And so, you know, thankfully, uh, Maury bought into it, and uh, with the support of uh, Mike, Mike and Maury, you know, we've we've been able to do this the last two years. Again, you're ahead of the curve. You're always ahead, Joey. Always. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Sometimes I swung and struck out too. So I'm sure. We're gonna, if I'm we're sure. Use the baseball analogies. <laughs> but like you say, you bat 285. You're in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Famer. That's what I told my son. My son, uh, he got mad at himself. He he was at baseball, and he said I had one double and two strikeouts. I said you're 300. You know, you're a 333 hitter. It's pretty damn good. You're gonna be all right. <laughs> he yeah. Doesn't, he doesn't know that yet. So, this might be a really really weird question. I might be even wrong. I heard Spencer Gallagher one time talk about, I think when you were making that pitch with Mike in Vegas, that it was either Spencer or Maury or his wife. Did you guys have like fried chicken for dinner? 
I don't remember the exact meal. Uh, Maury's Maury's very easy. He's very simple. Um, the because I remember Spencer meal. was saying like we have this big meeting going on, and Maury was like, "Yeah, go get some KFC or Popeyes or something." It was I don't know that, why I remember that. It was at uh, Maury's kitchen table, right? This wasn't yeah. no big conference room. This wasn't in a high rise building. Uh, this was at Maury's kitchen table at his house in Vegas. So we we probably did have some sort of dinner. Typically, it's either uh, barbecue, uh, Mexican, or or fried chicken. So yeah, the the chance is pretty high that it was one of those. Millionaires, they're just like us, baby. I love it. <laughs> um, a couple more, and I'll let you run because I know you're a busy sure. man. What is it like having Jimmy Johnson as a boss? And Richard Petty as somebody that's also kind of overlooking things and he can, I'm sure, get your ear at a moment's notice. Two seven-time champs, two goats, two legends, and you report to both of them, kind of. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's one of those situations you walk into every day and you don't really believe. Um, you know, just Richard comes to the shop just about every Tuesday or Wednesday and walks around, talks to everybody. Um, he's the king. He's Richard Petty. There's there's no other thing that needs to be said, you know, Um he loves this race team. He loves, you know, the 43, um, you know, his support. We, we enjoy having him around and just, he's, he's really great. Um, you know, you throw Jimmy into the mix there too. It's really, it's really fun. Um, I knew, I knew a lot about Jimmy from my time at Hendrick. Sure. Um, Jimmy's a world-class human, you know, and really getting to, to know him at this level, the last nine, 10 months, uh, has been even more fun. Um, same thing, you know, he, he cares about racing. He cares about NASCAR and he wants to be involved in the sport. So it's been really fun. So I know that you got two kids, I believe. Uh, you said one seven and he's kind of starting to race. Do your kids kind of understand and know like the deal, like know what's going on, know that dad works in racing and he's doing all this stuff every weekend. They're kind of old enough to understand that now. Yeah, for sure. Um, the one uh, eats, breathes, sleeps NASCAR, Oliver, um, he's, he's, you know, every Monday's a debrief with him. He wants to know about the pit decisions. He wants to know about, you know, why the, you know, why did Eric say his car was loose or why it was tight? I love you it. Know, um, he's, yeah, he's ate up with it. So, uh, it's fun. Um, they, they come to the track about once a month, you know, get to go with dad, uh, go see what dad does for work. So it's, it's really been cool. Um, you know, I, I, I relate, right. Cause I was about that age when I found a love for the sport and, uh, it, it's last basically a lifetime, you know, so it's really cool to see that and, uh, kind of see the energy and excitement he has for NASCAR. I want to give you a chance to touch on square vision ventures as it was. Um, I think you've been doing that for almost seven years or so. I did my LinkedIn stalking, as you can see, <laughs> uh, which I think is basically, you know, it's, it's a consultant <laughs> firm for motorsports. Like, can you tell us a little bit about what that company is and what it stands for, what it does. Yeah. I, um, you know, probably around 2012, um, myself and another college, uh, buddy, um, who's in the motorsports industry. I won't name him cause I don't want him, his business put out there, but, um, we got, uh, really passionate about, uh, technology and motorsports. Obviously we were engineers and, um, at a lot of, you know, at that time there wasn't a lot of, uh, off the shelf tools. Um, so we said, man, we could make this, uh, we could make a, we could make an app on, on our iPhone where guys could keep track of their setups, you know, like local short track racers. We could make an app on our iPhone that would, you know, do this with our timing data. We could make an app on our iPhone where, it takes a picture of the track and you can draw on there to remember what kind of racing line you did or where you're balanced when you're debriefing. Um, we, we were just exposed to that world. So we were like, well, why can't every local racer have this kind of technology sure. at that time? You know, iPhones are popular, uh, tab, you know, iPads are popular. And so we took on the, um, the, 
kind of task of just uh hey we're gonna we're gonna start like a mobile technology company we're just gonna do this on the side for fun in the off season casual um, just casual you know just in our garages <laughs> you know like a garage project um but um one thing leads to another um we get hooked up with another company who's kind of doing a similar thing in the midwest and uh we take off on some larger projects and uh you know, next thing you know, um, you know, four or five years later, that company gets acquired, uh, gets bought out for all its technology, and then we continue on as consultants. So basically, that was the transition of uh, kind of selling that one company and kind of opening up a consultancy to say, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on with them. And uh, fortunately, I've got to do a really lot, a lot of cool projects in the motorsports space. Uh, we've done some radio transcription stuff for television and uh, other people where they take the radio audio and basically transcribe it, put it in clips uh, that can be consumed, things like that. Just some really cool technology that we we kind of started on uh, probably seven, eight years ago that um, actually came to, you know, mass consumption. And uh, nowadays, not so much uh, a lot of motorsports stuff. I do a lot of stuff with my wife. Um, you know, she has a couple of things that she's interested in. We have a couple uh, Airbnb things that we do, uh, real estate rental, just stuff like that. Cool. Uh, so Square Vision lives uh, as a little bit of a, <laughs> a reminder to, uh, you know, kind of what it started as. But yeah, just kill some of the time in the off season. Yeah, because you got a lot of free time in your days. I assume. always two kids and yeah, all sorts of things. <laughs> God, you're a go go go. Uh, last thing for me, seven races to go in the season. Both your guys obviously improving, right? Carson's not going to be there next year. We can put the tea leaves where he's going to be, but that's another thing for another day. Sure. Uh, what are the goals and and maybe expectations for the forty three team and Eric, and then the forty two team overall as they get set to welcome John Hunter for the last couple races of the year? Yeah, we just want to continue on with this momentum uh, in the season on a strong note, right? Um, you know, I'm 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 perfectly honest in saying I think we have an opportunity to go to Texas and uh, compete for a win. I think we have a chance to go to Las Vegas, Talladega, and compete for a win. Um, and, and that's what we want to do, right? We, we kind of want to play spoiler in this playoffs. Um, but just really nailing down a lot of solid finishes to end the year. Um, you know, we still have goals in mind for where we want to end up in points and, and things of that nature. So those things are still obtainable to us. Uh, but really just end the season on a strong note and uh, really, uh, you know, it's been really fun to, you know, hear people talking about Legacy Motor Club a lot the last four or five weeks. Uh, typically in the playoffs, you know, a lot of those teams kind of fade away and uh, don't get talked about much uh, as the season starts to wind down. So we, we really just want to be there and uh, want to be that topic of discussion to end the season. Well, in a time where the playoffs have our full attention, you guys have captured our full attention as well, given the speed you guys have shown. So Keep it up. Appreciate your time today, my friend. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon, I'm sure. Make sure you ride your bike into the track, but make yeah. sure the banking is not too steep. Davey, uh, how about Talladega? Come ride with us. I mean, are you, are you coming or what? I think I might have a prior engagement. Uh, and even if I didn't, I would need like some sort of Gorilla Glue tape to like <laughs> put on my wheels. Make sure I didn't eat you know what, because that would be a trip to the care center for me. That would not be good. Cool. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you, man. And we are back. Whew, man, what a guy. What a chat. Um, a lot of cool perspective. A lot of interesting perspective. And I will say, uh, I actually can't go to Talladega. Well, maybe, I don't think I can. Maybe I just didn't because it's expensive and balling on a budget here. But in any event, I don't know if you can even, like, keep a bike up there. You, you would have to quite literally be going 
upwards of what? Like 30, 40 miles an hour on a bicycle. That is not electric. So Joey, you can go ahead and get that all over yourself, buddy. I, uh, I will be watching from afar and hoping that your trip to the infield care center after you get apprehended by security will be a safe one and a quick one and a painless one. Uh, all kidding aside, thank you so much, my man, for the time. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Amy Walsh Stock of Legacy MC for helping coordinate that conversation very quickly, I might add. Just like their race cars, their PR folks, lickety split, very quick. So appreciate that, Amy. Great to work with you, as always. Time to chit-chat for a bit about Bristol, baby. The Bass Pro Shops night race at the world's fastest half mile. The last great Coliseum, Thunder Valley, whatever you want to call it, Bristol. I think that it was a pretty solid race. Now, some people were complaining about the fact that Denny won and PJ won was kind of annoying and it became kind of a one-lane racetrack and it was still really hard to pass. I hear all that. I understand it. But I think for a playoff cutoff race... When you had two guys fall below the cut line, two guys that were below it get above it to advance, some drama, some excitement. Said that for you, Chocolate Myers. Um, I didn't think it was half bad. Like, there's been better Bristol races. There's been better races in these playoffs. There's been better races this season. There's been better races with the next-gen car. But, again, a conversation that feels like we seemingly have every week, for better or for worse, this is what it is. Like, it, it's not going to be a crazy barn burner every single week. I think it was solid. And I think one of, if not the best car won the race as well. That being Denny Hamlin win number 51 in his cup series career. But this one probably was the biggest in terms of taunting the crowd. Cause at Bristol, it's obviously a Coliseum. It's a bowl. Everybody's around you. You can hear everything. They can hear you. And I loved what he did after the race with Marty Snyder on NBC he said, I beat your favorite driver. And Marty said, who would that be? Without breaking stride, all of them. I love that. I love that, man. He's eating it up. He is totally embracing the villain role. I don't think he's going full heel yet, but he is well on his way. And something that Nate Ryan pointed out on the NASCAR and NBC podcast that I did not hear in the moment was, you know, for Bristol intros, the drivers come out to a song that they pick and then they address themselves on the microphone. You know, they'd be like, Carson Hosevar, driver of the 42 Legacy Motor Club Chevrolet, starting 11th. Uh, thank you guys for coming out. Something like that, right? And that's how we got back in the day. Brad Keselowski said, Brad Keselowski, driver of the Penske Racing Dodge. Kyle Busch is an ass. And everybody went nuts, right? So Denny comes out, and this is what he says. You know. And he walks off. Like, look, that's why people hate him, right? And I have long said, and I will stand by this, that one of the major reasons that Denny Hamlin to most race fans is unlikable, is very hated, is not respected maybe, is because the man has swag. And I don't care if you think I'm wrong because you're not going to change my mind on this. The fact that Denny Hamlin has a big-ass mansion on Lake Norman has three Daytona 500 winning rings and trophies and one of the cars in his damn living room, has a basketball court in his house, has a golf league, a basketball league, hell of a shoe collection, is boys with Michael Jordan, courtside season tickets to the Hornets, a private jet, boys with Nelly. The fact that he has all of these things going for him in his life makes him, to be honest, not really relatable. 
And the fact that he's not relatable leaves people a bit envious because they wish they could maybe have those things and those relationships and that kind of lifestyle. And then the fact that he goes out and he's pretty good, but he's not good enough in some people's eyes to win a championship, but he has a platform and he's speaking out and he thinks that he should be taken at, at you know, gospel or whatever, fans' words, not mine or his. All these things are just reasons why people hate him. And that's why if I was a race fan, purely and not a media member, I would love this guy because it's like him against the world, right? Kyle Busch was the villain in the heel for a while, and then he obviously uh, moves over to RCR, legendary race team, Dale Earnhardt. So now he's kind of the opposite. He's like beloved by the fans. And who has taken his place as the hated Toyota driver at Joe Gibbs Racing? I think it's Denny for sure. Ty Gibbs is too young for everybody to hate him right now. But I think in due time, that'll probably happen. Denny Hamlin, though, he's an old man, relatively speaking, especially compared to Ty Gibbs. So people don't feel too bad hating him, especially when he eggs them on and says, I beat your favorite driver, all of them. And he goes on his podcast this week, and he says, again, his words, not mine, I love shit-talking people. It gets me going. I do it on the basketball court. I do it on the golf course. I do it in the race car. I do it with the fans. I do it all the time, and he loves it and as a media member I can say we love it too because it gives us content so anyways Denny Hamlin wins the race Kyle Larson goes from worst to second and finishes second after starting dead last Martin Truex Jr. was minus seven heading into the race he gets into the next round and gets all those playoff points back so he now will shoot back up to the top of the leaderboard Bubba Wallace gets in after he was down 19 points Really impressive performance for Bubba. So two Toyotas that were below the cut get in. That means all five Toyotas that made the playoffs get into the round of 12. Oh, not to mention that the other Toyota, Ty Gibbs, led a career high in laps on Saturday night at Bristol. But one man's treasure is another man's trash. And in this case, Toyota's treasure is Ford's trash. Sorry to put it so bluntly that way. Joey Logano gets caught up in a wreck. Corey LaJoy comes spinning across the front stretch or backstretch, whatever it was, and uh, collects Joey. Car's killed, can't finish the race, misses the next round of the playoffs. The first time ever in Joey's career that he has not gotten to the round of eight when he is in the Cup Series playoffs, and the first time ever that the defending champion of the Cup Series has failed to make it out of the first round. And unfortunately, his Ford teammate, Kevin Harvick, he has a dismal, dismal day five laps down not a factor whatsoever just slow from the word go and they obviously missed it as well so four not a great night Toyota yeah it was a great night and that means we are moving on to the round of 12 and that will take place at Texas Motor Speedway I have made my thoughts and my feelings about this racetrack known I do not hate it as much as uh, Jordan Bianchi who is probably not listening, but if you are, hello, Jordan. But this track is just not it. It's just bad. Uh, I wish that it wasn't that way. I love the fine folks in the state of Texas. I love the fine folks at Texas Motor Speedway and SMI. But as I've said many times on this podcast, and I'll say it again, your racetrack sucks. It just does. I'm really sorry about it. And look, you know, I'll give it a shot, right? Because the next-gen car on intermediates really freaking good really really good 
And this race not being 500 miles, but being shortened to 400, chef's kiss. Perfect, right? Well, maybe not perfect, but better, much better, because you're going to amp up the intensity. And let's be honest, nobody wants to watch 500 miles at Texas Motor Speedway in a NASCAR Cup Series car. Just it's it's true. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'll go as far as some people have and will to, you know, tweet out these memes of like the picture of Texas, the picture of a bulldozer, the picture of a Walmart, aka bulldoze it, because I think that you know the track has in the past produced good racing, but ever since the reconfiguration and whatever they were trying to do with turns one and two, it just really failed and did not work. So much so that like you can't even put PJ one or traction compound down in a non preferred groove to try to make it come in. Cause it's just not fixable. I think the way to fix it is you do a complete reconfiguration as well. I mean, maybe you can make one and two, like three and four and try to bring it back to what it was, but I just don't know. It's uh it's a tough one, but regardless, it is an interesting place to kick off the round of 12 Tyler Reddick won this race last year, but that was for RCR. So can Kyle Busch kind of get back on track and get some speed back in that race car? Or can Reddick, who got out of the first round for the first time in his career, punch his ticket to the round of eight already? That will be interesting to see. What about Denny? Can Denny stay hot? What about Larson? Finishes of, uh, what was it, first, fourth, and second in the round of 16. That is pretty darn impressive, too. I will say, ever since he's come on the podcast, he's been doing pretty well. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Kyle, if you want to come on every week, you got a spot open for you. And um, I'll say it for the rest of the season, but one of Kevin's last races, right? I, I wish that it was under better circumstances for old Happy Harvick, but he's got seven more tries to get a victory and go out on top for SHR with Rodney Childers and everybody over there at Stewart Haas Racing. So Texas Motor Speedway, baby. We'll be watching this Sunday. And that'll wrap things up for episode 202 of Victory Lane 2.0. Appreciate you carving out some time for us this week. I know your time is valuable, whether you think so or not. So I really do appreciate you listening to this very here show. If you like what you heard and you haven't done so already, please do me a favor and consider leaving a rating and or review. You can do that on Apple. I believe you can also do that on the green app that shall remain unnamed for reasons unbeknownst to me or to you. I know why I shouldn't say it, but if you want to find out, just text me. Um, Google Podcasts, any other place you get your podcast, we should be available there for your consumption. And again, if we're not, please just let me know. I'll try to rectify that issue for you. We'll be back next week with a guest from the world of NASCAR. I have not locked him down yet but I am aiming for a recently crowned champion in the NASCAR ranks and a very, very young one at that. Come back next week to find out, party people. We'll talk to you next time. Be good.